2: You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book.
3: Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? I am well. I'm laughing already because um, my mother has made me laugh and uh, I feel I have to share this with you. So um, she been working in in her garden and her her back was sore. Obviously, not a laughing matter. So I said, you know, do have a bath. So I spoke to her later that night. Have you had a bath? Yes, I have. Did you put something in it? Yes, I did. I I, I think it's really helped. Great. What did you put in? Oh, I put in that alba soil. (laughs) Oh, God. I remember that. That's for coughs and cold. And she said, oh, I did think I could breathe better afterwards. So I said, right don't worry, we need to get you some RADOX, something simple. And I've got two different types of RADOX, a blue one and a red one, both muscle stuff. So pour them into a bath. Brilliant. Um, and so I took them around the next day, uh, just left them for her. Didn't want to give her any germs or anything. So she got them later on. <laughs> and I spoke to her again and she said, oh, I've had a look, but I, I'm a bit worried. I said, what? why, mum? Whatever for? She said, well, what's for men? Men's muscle soak. I don't I don't want to have a bath and come out a man. <laughs> I just said, no. no, mum. No, that's not what it is. It's just marketing hype. Don't worry about it. So anyway, I'm sorry. That made me laugh. Now, if she listens to this, I'm going to be in so much trouble. If you don't hear me next week, you, you know that uh, I've been um, locked in the in the depths of her house and unable to get out for telling you. It just made me laugh so much. Anyway, we've got lots to cover today. and We've got a bit of a special. This is a podcast of two halves. But first, I'm going to cover what the Facebook group have been reading. And then I'm going to tell you what incredible things we're going to have on this podcast, because I'm quite excited about this. Uh, And yes, I do have my cup of coffee, but I am excited. I think we've got some really great things to cover. So first of all, if you are not part of our Facebook group, please join us. You would be most welcome. Just go on, type in Quick Book Reviews podcast and you should find us. And it's just great to uh, talk books among friends, see what everyone's reading. And at the moment, there's lots of books being read. I've got Rach reading One Moment by Linda Green. Uh, Laurie's reading The Dare by Leslie Cara. Geetha's reading My Best Friend's Murder by Polly Phillips. Johan's reading The Other Half of Augusta Hope by Joanna Glenn. Joe is reading The Giver of Stars by Jojo Moyes. Leslie's reading The Postscript Murders by Ellie Griffiths. Love that. Carol is reading The Prison Doctor by Dr Amanda Brown. Claire is reading The Crossing Places by Ellie Griffiths. <laughs> Sensing a bit of a theme here. Lucy's reading The Familiars by Stacey Halls. Uh, Victoria's reading The Remarkable Journeys of the Second World War by History Press. And Elle is reading All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr and The Vanishing Half by Brit Bennett. And I have that book on my shelves and I need to read it. But I'm going to put that list somewhere else and I'm going to get the books I'm talking to you about today. So this really is a a game of two halves. That's the closest I will ever get to a a sporting event, I think. So that line. We've got an interview with the amazing Jodie Taylor. Now, you will have heard me talk about the Chronicles of St Mary's before uh, and about the Time Police. um, And she's just published her latest one called Hard Time. And I thought, what better opportunity to get her onto the podcast and talk all things, chaos, and brilliance that is St. Mary's. It's just the most incredible series. Um, and I thought it'd be great to have her on. So we're going to talk about her book Hard Time and talk to Jodie. But before we do that, I want to talk crime compilations. And we're not too far from Christmas. Am I going to use that word? Yes. I've already used it in a podcast already in the last few months, so. I'm going to use it again. And what I thought was we could look at some of the books that I think are really, really good, that might make good presents for people that are into crime, but looking for something different. And just for you yourself, if you're thinking, well, um, I could do with another book on my pile to read. Which ones do we recommend? It's just something a bit different. So I'm going to go through the four books I've got to suggest and then we'll take it from there. So the very first book is called How Done It and uh, it's edited by Martin Edwards and it's um, deemed to be a masterclass in, in crime writing by members of the Detection Club. I'll come on to more of this in, in due course. The next one is uh, from uh, Noir from the Bar. 30 crime and mystery short stories donated by some of the world's best thriller writers and all profits going to the NHS, which is brilliant. So we're going to be looking at that one. Something a little bit different, but absolutely fascinating, whether you are a writer or a reader, I think this is a great book. And it's called The Crime Writer's Guide to Police Practice and Procedure uh, by Michael Burn. Um, and I just thought this was Really fascinating. Quite a short book as well, but um, certainly one to help you build your knowledge. And then the last one is called Mortification. It's edited by Robin Robertson. And it's this isn't just crime writers. Uh, there are other writers as well, but it's writers stories of their public shame. And uh, it's quite an eye opener as to some of the indignities a a writer has to suffer through. So I just thought it was really interesting. Um, They're a great selection of books and ones that I just thought, well, it's a little bit different. Obviously, this week's theme is it's a little bit different. St Mary's are certainly a little bit different. And uh, those books are too. So let's start with the very first one of that series. As I say, it's called How Done It. Let's put those books to the side. You see, you get all the sound effects with me, don't you? Sorry about that. Yes. Uh, so How Done It, edited by Martin Edwards, a masterclass in crime writing. How did I hear about this book? I was watching um, a, a YouTube video. Why do I say a YouTube video? Clearly it's a video if it's on YouTube. Anyway, I was watching YouTube And the uh, Partners in Crime duo, which is Adam Croft and Robert Dawes, uh, were talking about books that they were reading and Robert Dawes mentioned this book. And I thought, oh, that sounds quite interesting. So let's read the blurb because it's still blurb with a book like this. In celebration of the det- Detection Club's 90th birthday, 90 of its esteemed members share their experiences and advice about the art and craft of successful crime writing. From G.K. Chesterton's timeless exploration of the value of detective fiction to Len Dighton's insightful explanation... how different problems can be met with different solutions. How Done It takes the reader on a guided journey through all aspects of crime writing and the painful pleasures of motivation, character, setting, dialogue, perspective, humour and suspense. How do you decide on a murderer? What research should you do? What can you improvise? And what do editors actually want? How Done It was conceived and edited by the Detection Club's president, Martin Edwards. Um, And I just thought it was it's a great book. Um, Some of the chapters are about I don't know plots about place about people. It's the sort of book that you well certainly for me I wouldn't sit there and just read the book from beginning to end and that and that was it. It's one that I would have probably to read in the bath. You just have uh, you know some short. It's not it's not short story short writing short essays on these different subjects. And uh, yeah, I I wish I was a crime writer. I am not, but I love crime books. And this really. Gave me a lot to think about, and I found it really useful. And because it's quite recently published, it probably, if you have a crime fan in the family or a friend and you're wanting to sort of get them a gift, get them something different, they might not have have heard about it and you've got all sort of well-known authors that you would like in there you've got pd james you've got robert goddard you've got oh gosh mark billingham alexander mccall smith ian rankin val mcdermott i mean loads and loads I've, I've missed quite a few off obviously i've missed quite a few off because there are 90 authors so by that very nature i've missed quite a few off but i just think it's um a really interesting book and might earn you some brownie points for Christmas. So there we go. That is How Done It. And I think it was a really good title as well. I don't know about you. So the next one we're going to talk about is Noir at the Bar. Now, Noir at the Bar um, started, originated from um, authors meeting together, doing readings from their books. And then, of course, with the great pandemic of 2020, uh, let's hope it only keeps to that year, uh, they had to move online and Vic Watson has done a sterling job in getting everyone together, promoting authors, promoting their books, doing all these readings. And this book came came from there. And you've got short stories from all sorts of wonderful people, from Phoebe Morgan, who's been on this podcast before. Zoe Sharp, I really like reading her books. Philip East, Neil Lancaster, um, Ros Watkins. Oh, all all sorts. Neil Broadfoot, Sha- Broadfoot Sharon Bolton, um, lots and lots. So 30 different authors have written a short story. And I think it's great because it's something, again, you can duck in and out of if you want. You don't have to sit there and read the whole thing. You could just read one story at a time and then read another book and then come back to it. But as I say, with all profits going to the NHS, um. I think it's a it's a great addition to to any gift for anybody. And frankly, we're still ages away from Christmas, really, aren't we? We really are. So just it's a gift for yourself. Um, Nothing wrong with that. Um, And it might just spark your interest in looking up Noir at the bar as well. And these these different authors and reading more of what they have to say. Um, So I just thought it's a great book with some really interesting stories. that you don't, you know, it's not going to take you weeks and months to to read. So there we go. That one. Um, Now, I can't remember which one I said I was going to do next, but I'm going on to mortification because I just found this so funny. So I was listening to a podcast. I do actually do other things. It just sounds as if all I do is read books, listen to podcasts and watch YouTube. Actually, (laughs) no, I work as well. And uh, hopefully, appear to the family from time to time as well. But anyway, um, I was listening to a podcast and uh, it was the two crime writers and a microphone with Luca Vesti and Steve Kavanagh. And they were interviewing John Connolly. And John was talking about an event he'd been to where it had been raining and there were only a couple of people in the audience. And it was actually to talk about this book that had been published and I just thought it sounded so interesting. I got a copy. it's a second hand copy. it's battered and bruised, but I don't care. it's great. It's a book I'll definitely be keeping, and it's one I think would be a great present for anyone bookish, whether it's yourself, friend family um if If you've got a favorite author maybe for them, just check they they're not already in the book because <laughs> that might not be the greatest present um But what it does, whoever you are, Margaret Atwood's written in this book. So whoever you are, authors have gone through some unique experiences, particularly when they go to um, an event which is for them, for people to come and meet them, uh, to hear about the the books. A book promotion event, essentially, Um, whether there's very few people there, the expectations of the crowd, what happens during the event. Um, it just it's a very levelling thing, I, I think, that no matter how big an author is, they have gone through the hardship of that of that event when perhaps there's nobody there and you have to pretend that, you know, you're not the author and hope for the best or all sorts of things. I just it's a great book. Um, the minute it rise I started reading it. Well, obviously not the minute I did actually shut the, you know, thank the post and shut the door. And go back inside the house. Then I started reading it, and I was mesmerised by it. I found it profoundly funny, um, and as I say, very leveling. It, you know, sometimes you think that authors have it easy. I'm not saying they do, but you know, it, it's always the grass is always greener on the other side, and you think, oh, these authors—they once they've got a book, you know, that that's the hard work done, and actually, how they keep their their integrity and how they keep going, how they keep a sense of self-belief. I don't know because if some of these things happen to me, that that's it. I would just be saying I'm I I'm not writing again. So I just thought just thought it's really good. So let's see authors covered: Margaret Atwood. Um, who else we've we got? Simon Armitage. That we've got uh, Deborah Maguire, um, Val McDermott, Maggie Farrell. Um sorry that noise is now my dog who has insisted on coming upstairs. So let's hope she doesn't snore. That's not the name of an author, that is actually what is happening here. Um, Margaret Drabble. Uh oh, there's just lots. Jonathan Coe, Irvin Welsh, Andrew Motion, uh Louis de Bernier, uh, John Banfield um all sorts. Anne Enright, John Lanchester lots Roddy Doyle I'll stop going on there's a lot of authors there and it's mortification I think is an absolutely superb title because it is that it's just that feeling of complete embarrassment particularly for these authors that have given their all to then have to deal with that but anyway never mind I thought it was very good I'm now being looked at by my dog you can't come on my knee I'm trying to do this can you just lie down please Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Right. So then we're coming on to the Crime Writer's Guide. Uh, The Crime Writer's Guide to Police Practice... And procedure. So it's the essential detective in your pocket. Something to reach for when your writing needs that short, sharp shock of modern day investigating. Every writer has paused at some key point in the development of their story to wonder what happens in real life. How would the murder in my story be investigated by the police? How far can I go without leaving holes in the plot? Can I use low count DNA to identify the killer? How does a cop react to a bloated body? or even worse, just part of one. So I found I found this book really interesting. As I say, I'm, I haven't written crime. I wish, I wish I could. So I didn't get this book as a crime writer. I just thought this could be really interesting. The more crime I read, the more I'm interested in it. Um, and as I say, if you know someone who likes reading crime, I think they would find this really interesting. It's 180 odd pages, so it's not that long, but it's broken down into really interesting sections about forensics, tools of the trade, how the investigation begins, organised crime, all sorts of things. Um, So yes, that's my other recommendation. So some really different books this time, I think. We've had uh, Mortification about authors' experiences at events. Uh, We've had The Crime Writer's Guide to Police Practice and Procedure. We've had How Done It, a masterclass in crime writing and uh, 30 crime and mystery short stories from Noir from the Bar with all profits to the NHS. Quite a selection. But now we need to get on to Jodie Taylor. So a few weeks, a few months ago, I reviewed Plan for the Worst by Jodie Taylor and I gave that a nine and a half out of ten. Thought it was really good. Um, and so I have talked to you about the St Mary's series before. This is it's just really different, and I think the best thing we can do is is talk to Jodie. Um, but first of all, I just want to give you a bit of blurb about the book to put it in context. Now, the, the slight issue that we've got is that some of you will know everything about Jodie Taylor and about her series, and some of you won't know anything. And because we're going to focus on two slightly different series, um, we just need to get our facts straight, first of all. Otherwise, you're just going to sit there thinking What is she talking about? So main series about St. Mary's. And then we've got The Time Police, which is a bit of a spin off series of which the book I'm going to talk to you now is the second in that series. And it's called Hard Time. It's a bit of a big book, over 500 pages. And thank goodness, because that's more to read. So this is the this is the blurb. The Time Police do not have problems. They have challenges. Idiots who want to change history have always proved challenging, but now temporal tourism is on the rise, highly illegal but highly lucrative, if you're prepared to take the risk. To face down this threat, the Time Police will dispatch their toughest undercover agents, which is fine until the unthinkable happens. Replacements are needed fast, and who better than three young officers who don't even look the part? Step forward, Jane, Luke and Matthew. They may be about to graduate, but there's still plenty of time for everything to go wrong. Throw in the Versailles time slip, a covert jump to ancient Egypt and a race against time itself. And you've got yourself an assignment worthy of Team Weird. Um, I, I mean, I just thought this was a wonderful book. If you haven't read any of Jodie Taylor's books yet, then certainly I would suggest starting with the first in, in this series, doing time and then come on to hard time. Um, if you have got the, the time and energy, then go back and start with the beginning of uh, St. Mary's, which starts with uh, just one damn thing after another, um, because you, you're you in for such a ride. If you like books that are just very matter of fact, um, entirely level and um, specific to, to one genre, then... Possibly these aren't books that you would enjoy. But if you want something with some guts, if you want something with a sense of humour that does make you laugh out loud, if you want something that just is so different to other books and one that you can't wait to read the next one of, then I think hold on to your hats because this is one for you. So let's talk to Jodie. Oh, now, actually, just before we meet Jodie, just got to give a few warnings. First of all, Jodie does have a cough. Poor woman. She's been a bit poorly, um, but she's recovering now. And I can confirm it is not anything uh, virus pandemic related so that's one thing secondly there's a bit of interference um, from her side just bear with us please it's worth it because honestly she made me laugh so much Um, and thirdly there was a third thing but I can't remember what it was oh yes now I remember what it was oh dear the third thing is there are a few words um a few fruity words, so if you have children listening while you're uh, listening to the podcast as well, um, maybe just press pause and uh, wait till they're not in the room. Nothing too serious, but uh, just to warn you, in case you have delicate ears, here we go so Jody, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for asking me so for people who I haven't read your books yet. There must be one or two on, on the planet. I've described them in previous podcasts. I think I've used the word bonkers quite a bit. But how how would you describe them?
2: I would describe them as superbly written. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would describe them. Um, there are two main series. There is the St. Mary's series, which is about a bunch of time-traveling historians. <laughs> Who we'll go back to investigate um, major events in contemporary time because it's not called time travel. Um, and of course, everything goes horribly wrong because it's no fun if it doesn't go horribly wrong. And you can be eaten by dinosaurs or burned at the stake as a witch or tiffle things like that. Um, and then there's the Time Police series, which is a kind of spin-off from St. Mary's. Mm. Um, the Time Police are the people who attempt vainly to monitor St. Mary's um, and always come off worse. And I was writing one day and I suddenly thought how irritating St. Mary's must be to somebody trying to keep them in line and maintain the integrity of the timeline (laughs) and and just generally bring order to chaos. Um, And I wondered if I could write a series from the town police point of view. I was considerably hampered by the fact that i have made them out to be utter bastards all the way through. Um, And I'm now engaged in the massive task of converting everybody Hating the time police to rather falling in love with them
3: because you know let's not make things easy <laughs> and that is a much better way of summarising than, than than I ever could that the books are certainly an escape to read are they an escape to write yes
2: yes which is just as well because that's pretty much all I do um, food fairy turns up sometimes and brings me food. <laughs> The toilet roll fairy turns up sometimes and brings me toilet rolls. So that's my basic needs catered for. And I just sit here at my desk and pretty much write and eat chocolate.
3: Sounds perfect.
2: It's a a hell of an existence. You've no idea how I suffer.
3: (laughs) Well, I always say if the chocolate's fair trade, you're doing your bit for charity. So, you know, it's uh, something to consider. Um, Indeed. You've got this combination, this very unusual combination, I think, in, in, in the books of history, adventure, comedy, thriller. How how do you keep that balance? Um, it's,
2: it's contrasts, really, because that is how life happens, really. Everything's going fine, and then there's a bombshell. Something awful drops out of the blue. Or your life is going down the tubes as fast as it can go. And a tiny little thing happens to make you laugh and you feel guilty about laughing because your life is going down the tubes and you really shouldn't be that cheerful. So that's what I try to reflect in the book. Plus, as an author, I had no idea about genre and the fact that you're supposed to keep to just one of them. So you get the history, the science fiction, the romance comedy um, because I didn't know any better um, and apparently bookshops were not particularly happy about this because they didn't know on which shelf to put my books and my suggestion that they buy hundreds and put one on each shelf yes
3: not well received sadly <laughs> I thought it was brilliant yes it work, it works for me then you definitely yep. find it yes and it's fair to say you've, you've got a very loyal following. I mean, you've written... Oh, they're wonderful, aren't wonderful are not they Oh, you have written over 11 books for the St Mary's series, the, the Time Police, and, and you've got these huge Facebook groups where virtual St Mary's, people have to choose which department they're going to be in. It, is that... I mean, you've got more than any other author I know. Is that quite intimidating as well when you come to write?
2: Um. I don't think it's intimidating. On the whole, they are extremely supportive, mm. um, and I lean on them quite heavily sometimes. If I'm feeling a bit down or I'm stuck, I go onto the page and I look at pictures of chocolate tea, kittens, all the essentials of life, and um, and and it has a very uplifting effect for me. And I go onto the virtual St. Mary's page and find out um, they are they are. You've used the word bonkers. They are utterly bonkers and find out what they're up to um i believe they've just been on or are just about to go on a jump to chattel Hoyuk, which will be interesting to see what sort of trouble they managed to get themselves into <laughs> um i find them extremely supportive and i think <sighs> if somebody tried to take them away from me, I would really miss them. It's like having a giant extended family that mm. are not here, but are there if I need them, if that makes sense. I'm not good at this.
3: No, absolutely. It it does. And I just think it's glorious to see all these people that just like to escape into the world of, of St. Mary's. Well, Just to be
2: serious for a moment, um, I mean we all have dark times in our lives and I've had some bad times and I took comfort in in books, Mm. Um, Terry Pratchett, Georgette Heyer, big theories, well written and a world that I could escape into and it never ever occurred to me that the same thing would happen to me, that I would produce a series to which people could turn when they were having a tough time in their life and I'm enormously humbled actually when people write to me and say I've had a dreadful year but your books got me through or my husband died and your books were such a comfort Mm. and it really is enormously humbling to think that I've done that that something I did made a difference to people's lives
3: Mm. And and it does. It 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 really yes. is a joyful e- escape. When when you sat down to write the first book, one damn thing after another, did you see everything sort of in a in a wide lens, or, or were you looking at the story in quite a a sharp focus at that point?
2: Well, the original book was supposed to be about history, um, because history as such is not not. I think, tremendously important in the school curriculum these days. Hmm. I think I had this kind of vague messianic vision that I would (laughs) single-handedly restore people's interest in history by writing about various events. And St Mary's was simply going to be the mechanism that got them there. But, of course, it's St Mary's, and they took over more and more of the books and the characters developed and had lives of their own because I didn't want it to be like a television series where the characters don't grow in any way. Um, So, you know, they they form relationships, they fall out, they leave, they come back, they go, they die. I particularly wanted them to die um, because I wanted my readers not to feel that I'd created a core of characters to whom nothing could ever happen, mm-hmm. as, well as sometimes on television series. And I wanted them to know that when my characters were in jeopardy, there was a very good chance that not all of them would make it out alive. Just to rack up the tension a little bit because I'm quite cruel. <laughs>
3: And this, the you mention history. I mean, I didn't study history much at, at school, and I've learned so much from the books. But, but what you do is you make it so vivid, from you know the dinosaurs in the first book to Jack the Ripper to all sorts of moments in time. You bring more than than a history book would. How how do you do that?
2: I read around the subject. I know pretty much where they're going, what I want to happen when they get there. Um, For instance, the Battle of Hastings, I just read everything in sight that I could find, and I found maps, and I looked at the maps, and where would the pods be, and what would they see, and how would the armies deployed, and where, and then the pod door opens, and I go through a kind of what do I see? What's the weather? What can I smell? What can I hear? What are people wearing? What's happening around me? And it builds up in my mind and I can actually hear the people around me. My agent says I'm not to mention the voices in my head because it makes people nervous. Right? <laughs> but basically, that's, that's what happens. I am actually there. I, I can see it, I can smell it, I can hear it. And I just write down what I see around me.
3: I was actually going to ask you about the voices in your head, because for a lot of authors, if they have one main character, that that character will be in their head. And, and maybe even when they're not sitting down writing, the yep. character would come to mind. But f- for you, OK, you you've got Max, but you the whole raft of characters is there quite is it quite hard sometimes to have a bit of silence because you've got all oh of these god characters. yes <laughs> yeah. three
2: o'clock in the morning is a very crowded time in my life <laughs> I have notebooks all around my flat in every room because sadly I'm at the age where um, if I don't write it down immediately it's Gone forever. I could remember that there was something to remember, but what it was, I had to remember. It's just completely <laughs> gone. Um, and I, I, I do do. Well, I go to bed with my laptop, uh, my Kindle, a couple of notebooks and pens, um, and I can wake up at three o'clock with a stunning piece of dialogue running through my head, and I simply have to write it down there and then. Otherwise, eight o'clock the next morning, it, it's just gone. So. Yeah, it does really take over my life um, if I'm not careful. I have to be quite firm sometimes and people come round and are quite firm with me.
3: Wonderful. And, and the latest book is Hard Time and that's the second yes. one in the Time Police series. What made you decide to start this, this sort of spin-off series?
2: Um, I think, as I said before, I just had this sudden thought, how would somebody deal with St Mary's? What are they like from the outside? Imagine Mm. in your working life, if you had to deal with these people on an almost daily basis, I mean, the temptation to just line them up against the wall and shoot them (laughs) must be overwhelming.
3: I don't know, because if I could choose a department, mine it normally would be security I'd love to work on their security you'd be one of
2: Markham's would you I
3: would but I'm never very good with sort of shall we say camping facilities so I don't think I could actually go on any expeditions with them um indoor
2: security
3: indoor security I'm there yeah you could be in charge of building security yes right that 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 you need
2: never step outside at all you could be just like me and never go outside again
3: (laughs) that's fine by me oh that's great then that's super no I just thought I mean hard time is just an extraordinary book from the first page I was laughing out loud the use of words such a relief (laughs) you just have this great way of putting things and you know you even if you uh, word it in a particular way where where you're you're not being obvious you still as a reader know really what's going on and really what characters are are thinking and you've got the twists and turns that you like and the wow moments and the you know how how are they going to get out of this and calamities and st mary's are in there uh, it's just wonderful i mean uh, how do you keep you. these out of the bag I had an
2: idea that came to me out of the, in Derby, actually, of all places. I was talking with my agent um, and I had an idea about um, temporal tourism, which, of course, is strictly illegal. But Actually, mm-hmm. there being more to it than that and how it would be possible to go back and time, I don't want to give too much.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: but plunder, not only the past, but the people as well, because they have no rights. Um, in in today's law, Um, and I could just see that happening, Um, and that formed the core of the story for hard time. Um, In the next one that I'm writing at the moment, title still being argued over, um, I've taken it um, a step further, and we might, if I can get it to work, encounter temporal terrorism. Wow. Yes. Don't get too excited because
3: I'm gosh up to here and I've got to make it work. Are you torn sometimes which book to write next, which series to develop next, St Mary's? Well, I write several at a time, so I don't really have that problem, because then it's
2: a kind of holiday. When I get bogged down with one, I can move on to something else, and I write a bit, and then all of a sudden I'll think, oh, that's how I can get out of that, and then I go back to book one. I've just finished next year's Christmas Story. Um, which I was able to write while thinking about what to do with the third time
3: police book. So, uh, do you have two different desks in your room? Do you have a St. Mary's desk and a time police? And you physically have to step up and go and sit at the next no, one. No,
2: I started off having separate notebooks: Time Police, St. Mary's, Frogmorton Farm, Elizabeth Page, all the different series. And that didn't work at all. I nearly drove myself insane, and I could never find anything that I wanted to. So everything now is in just one notebook, um, and it's all scattered around me, as you can see. Wonderful. It's a very tiny flat. I haven't really got room to do anything
3: else. Well, yes, we just want you sitting at that desk writing, quite frankly. Hazel says that quite often
2: (laughs) as well
3: and with hard time did you have to sort of rein it in at times as you went through or did you add to it you know what's your normal approach do you normally go sort of full in and then have to yeah yes
2: yes I'm I'm bullet a gate thing (laughs) the important thing is to get the story down so that I can make sure that the story works so it's a kind of shorthand you know um They jump onto the railway train, they go to Cheltenham, he murders her with a railway spike, she runs away, and and so on. Having got the story down and made sure that everything works and interlocks nicely, then I go back to the beginning and I start to build the story. And Sometimes I'll move scenes around, sometimes they occur several times because I can't decide on the best place to put them for the best impact. Um, and, I, and I check the historical details and I go through and I do the character stuff and descriptions. Um, so by the time I get to the end of the book, I've actually been through it eight or nine times. I know it doesn't look like mm. it, but I do. <laughs> um, so, story and then the frilly bits,
3: if you yes. like, the yes. way that I do it. Now, I, th- I think some of us believe we know who your favourite character is in St. Mary's, but who is your favourite character in Hard Time in, or in the Time Police? Full in stop. the
2: Time Police, I am torn, actually. Um, it started off as Jane, obviously. Mm. I spent a lot of time with Jane um, and she will always be a favourite, I think. Miss North is showing some promise. Yeah, and um, Lieutenant Grint. I think is will will develop possibly into a human being.
3: <laughs> Can you tell when you meet people whether they are Saint Saint Mary? They will be fans of Saint Marys or not? Because it's you know there do seem to be two types of people: one with um, imagination, enthusiasm, and and uh, and an interesting personality who love Saint Marys and the Time Police, and and the others who don't <laughs> i don't <laughs> well, possess I those
2: i generally tend only to meet those that that yeah. do if i go to comic-con or or wherever not i've been anywhere recently they tend to seek me out because they actually want to talk to me yeah. and i was once hunted down by a couple of members of the real institute of history Um, who came and looked at my books and had a good laugh and shook my hand and walked away again. Um, I think I was lucky to survive, probably. I seemed amused by it. Um, I've never actually had somebody come up and shout at me. No. Doing what I do. Um, I think one of the most memorable moments was at a Comic-Con and a gentleman had travelled a long way to come and pick up a copy of the latest book and meet me. was a very big rough toughy man and he arrived and took one look at me and burst into tears Um, uh, and it was all rather and he had just invested so much in the moment and he wanted to talk to me about a particular scene that had moved him greatly Um, and we had a very interesting 15 minute chat Um, and we I think we gave him a cup of
3: tea and a cake as well (laughs) Quite right, too. Can we just talk data stacks? Yes, go on then. When they're in your mind... How do they? How do they look? I should say for people that um, aren't aware of what data stacks are, and I hope I'm not giving anything away in the series. I don't believe I am, but data stacks are a, used as a way of St Mary's storing data on, uh, with which to come up and concoct some uh, wild and extravagant plans to uh, go into history. I think. I think that's yes, right. that's fine. But in your mind, what do they look like?
2: in my mind they rise up out of a data table they are 3d i never know if i mean holographs or holograms i'm not quite sure what what the correct term oh. is um, you know, another writer writing from a position of complete ignorance but they rise up they are multicolored. you can physically remove parts turn them around um, for instance if you had um a data stack that combines, say, the Battle of Hastings and the Battle of Stamford Bridge. You could take out the Stamford Bridge bit and put it yeah, over there can. and then move the Battle of Hastings Bridge, uh, Hastings part across. So, um, movable information that can be viewed and done in different colours and projected as well.
3: Um, right
2: real non-technical
3: no that's that's got it for me and the other one scratch pads
2: oh yes when i was in the air force um all the pilots used to walk around and on their knees they had transparent surfaces on which they could write because when you're a pilot and you're sitting down you can't have a pad or a, so they wrote um, on oh. this piece of transparent magic stuff Um, so that's um what that's where the scratch pad goes it's kind of like a kindle stroke tablet stroke laptop most of which was in its infancy when i started writing this in 2012 Um, and they keep it in a knee pocket and they can either operate it in the knee pocket or pull it out and type on it
3: well that's transformed my reading thank what you. What did you think it was? Well Scratchpad I suppose in a way I thought it was more like some sort of electric electronic writing device but I couldn't see I knew it would be different it it wasn't just going to be an iPad there would be something no. different but the data stacks I never thought it, it was more um, of a of an image i thought it was actually a a sort of some sort of physical stack that that would rise up and sort of fall over at times of of information i just couldn't yes it is
2: a stack but it's a stack of light yes yes
3: yes. so it it won't fall over that was the yes
2: is is this going out visually because i'm waving my arms around (laughs) like a maniac here (laughs) and your followers will find in no way reassuring
3: it's not going out visually, but right, I'll carry um, on
2: waving the arms around. Now. Yes. Hazel always says to me, for God's sake, Taylor, don't wave your arms.
3: around." <laughs> no, you're fine. Wave away. So the last question I have for you um, is which department would you be in?
2: Oh, I'd be an historian. There's, Mm. there's no question at all. I couldn't possibly be at St Mary's and not go. I'm the person who says, yeah, clone the dinosaur. What could possibly go wrong? I'm the person who says, oh, push that button. It'll be fine. I'm the person who leaps out of the pod shouting, follow me, everyone.
3: (laughs) And And Jodie, we do follow you because we love your writing. We love your books and we will always follow you. So thank Thank you. Thank you.
2: It was lovely to meet you
3: today. Well, wasn't that amazing? It's just wonderful to talk to Jodie and hear all about her writing and the books. Absolutely fantastic. I think we've covered so much today. I've got the dog snoring again in the background. I can only apologise. It's one of those days, but you've uh, got quite a different, quite an eclectic mix today, um, what with the crime compilations and uh, the St Mary's and the Time Police series. But hopefully, there's some gems for you there. And as you would expect, I've got some brilliant books to talk to you about next week. So I can't wait. You You look after yourselves and I'll see you again very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast.
2: That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you
1: again soon.
0: Hold up. What was that?